Hey guys, Kaylee here. Welcome back to Not Your Mama. Betsy's going to be joining us in just a little bit for today's episode. Today's a little bit different, and so I thought I'd get on here and give you a brief rundown. So we talked to an amazing friend on this episode through her health journeys and also through her journey with infertility. This episode was recorded in two different parts um, because we got the honor to record this earlier this year. And before we got to the post date, uh, our friend had some health updates. So we thought it'd be great to have her come on, give us a recap, um, and give you guys her full story because it is such a powerful one. Another thing that you're going to notice is towards the end, B takes over. That is because part two of this interview was conducted when I was healing from excision surgery. And let me just tell you now, they are amazing. The last thing I want to give you a quick update on is we did record in different countries and we had some audio, you know, difficulties at time. I didn't want to remove all of that because I didn't want you to lose content but bear with us if there's a few moments of lag and that sort of thing. With that being said, let me give you your disclaimer once again. We are not doctors. We do not have any medical degree or knowledge. So don't take our word as fact. If you need a medical diagnosis, go find a doctor. If you need surgery, we recommend an excision specialist. And if you are needing help with your mental health, please find the appropriate resource. We want to be your friend. We tell you our opinion, but we do want to make sure you get the appropriate help as needed like we do. Second thing, quick trigger warning. We do talk about mental health. It is such a prominent thing in our community, especially in the infertility community. So trigger warning. There are some talks of depression and um, hints at suicidal ideation. If that's difficult for you, I understand. Skip this episode. If you're ready for that and ready for one powerful, powerful story, stick around because you guys are about to meet Natalie. Good morning, everyone. We have a super special guest. I want everybody to meet Natalie. Natalie, say hi to the audience. Tell us about yourself. Hi. Hi, hi Natalie. Hello, my name's Natalie. I am from the UK, so quite far away from you guys. Uh, but I've been living in Switzerland for the last 11 years. Um, yeah, it's a great place to live. Lots of mountains, lakes, and uh, fun things going on. Yeah, I also want to say, Natalie has the most beautiful smile, like ever. Just, it's gorgeous. So, (laughs) so I've already told Natalie that I'm coming to visit, like in real life, and she Mm -hmm. gave the travel experience she has, even if I'm not going to Switzerland, like she's the one that's going to tell me where to go visit places anywhere I go. So she is pretty awesome. (laughs) Around, I must say. We are excited to hear your story. Okay, um, I'll just start at the beginning because so I grew up in the UK and I started my periods very, very young. So I was nine years old. I mean, I think it's becoming more common these days, but it was surprising. But I always remember it. I even remember the exact date that it was 17th of March 1993 because I was like shocked and I was woken up out of my sleep by pain. It was my very first experience and I just had these cramps and I didn't know, I hadn't been told about periods yet. I, um, I didn't know what it was and then, and then I, I feel very grateful. My mom was like, she, she was a nurse, so she knew how to explain things properly in terms of health and science. It's a big shock. And so I always had the same, but it was just kind of told that it was normal, like, yeah, it's painful. So just take painkillers. Do you know if your mother had similar experiences? I don't think she did. And I know she had pain, but I don't think it was like in the level that I had it. And I, and I know that it's hard to really say what that level is. It was just said like, yeah, you just need to take 
you know, paracetamol and ibuprofen and that's just what it's going to be. So I was like, yeah, okay. And I could still like function and go to school and everything. But after a while, like especially during my teenage years, I would really, in hindsight, I realized I was taking away too many painkillers. But I didn't realize, well, or maybe I did, but I was just like, well, I have to, I have to play netball tonight. So I have to, but yeah, nothing really ever kind of stood out as like alarming to anyone. Yeah, like sometimes at school, I'd have to like, I remember like sitting on the cold floor of the t- science lab like maybe I was 14, 15, because I needed to like stretch my back. So I needed to like put my knees up to my chest so that my back would stretch out and I'd sit on the cold floor because it would make me feel better. But that sounds really normal. Like (laughs) nobody was like, oh, Natalie, get this checked out. Yeah. sitting on the floor again. Isn't it crazy how much we're just expected to like endure? Yeah. And like looking back on it, you're like, listen, this was not normal at all. And everyone just let it happen and acted like it was. Yeah. Yeah. And I never had been told by anyone else that they experienced this kind of pain. I think I became really good at disguising it or just, you know, I think people in our sort of situations, you actually become amazing at gaslighting yourself because even if you know something is happening, you then go, oh, but it's not that bad. Oh, but actually, I, I shouldn't say anything now because it's just going to disrupt this uh, conversation or this event. Yeah, I doubt it. I doubt every time I feel a symptom because I'm like, I've always been told it's not a big deal. So it's hard for me to believe my own body. Yeah. Yeah. And like, I'm pretty sure. And like that people in, you know, male bodies, if they felt some of the things that we feel, they would be like freaked out (laughs) like I need to like immediately get some medical attention and we're just there going like yo I'll just finish these dishes and then I'll see how if it's improved imagine if a blood clot came out of their genitalia and they hurt when they had sex they'd be like oh take me off this earth I can't handle it yeah we need to call the authorities we're like it's a Tuesday (laughs) I agree with you I wholeheartedly agree with that so I remember then when I was around, I'll fast forward because, you know, I have, I'm old. So got... <laughs> <laughs> hey, you tell whatever version of your story you want. So I remember when I was around 18, 19 and I used to, I was at university and I lived in this house chair and I used to get super depressed and I never really talked about it, but wasn't regular. So I only realized years later that it was linked to my mental cycle. I was to one of my friends and I was like, so I'm like really depressed. Like I'm like really bad. Like I just don't want to be here. I feel like everything is bad. I'm the worst person ever. Nothing will ever be right. Okay. In the world ever again. Then in a few days I'll be like, oh, I'm fine now. Don't worry about it. But <laughs> It's hard. So the connection is probably to PMDD, which we've talked about a ton on the show, but your hormones and your cycle and your changing in your body can impact your mental health. I post about it all the time. I am unfortunately very PMDD familiar at this point, but it's hard because like sometimes I go, oh, my cycle's here. No wonder why I cried for four days and thought that I shouldn't be here. Right. But you'd think after like, what is it now? Like 29 years of this. (laughs) for me I would have kind of now I realize it but track and everything but before I was like just wondering and I actually then years a few years later at like 24 25 I went to the doctors and this is still in the UK and I said look I don't know if I need antidepressants I don't know if what, what you can do to help me because I'm in a really a lot of pain and they were just like no it's fine and you know, just do some exercise and um, take, then they gave me even stronger painkillers to take to manage the pain. Mm. They didn't, and they said, oh, you can go on the pill, but I didn't at that point go on the pill. Is mental health and getting like therapy help and things like that as common in the UK or in Switzerland or wherever as it is in the US? Because like, I feel like everybody has a therapist nowadays in the US. I think it's becoming more so, but I don't think it's to the level that I understand it is in the US. Okay. It's, yeah, I think, I mean, I suppose it depends which circles you're in, but I think it takes a lot of time to even be suggested that by a medical professional. 
yeah changed I haven't lived there for 11 years right we were that way too in the U.S. and now I feel like almost it can be an outstent of uh, gaslighting too though because now we'll just be told it's in your head you're crazy like go talk to a therapist and I'm like no that's that's a huge blood clot that's not in my head are there differences in like the healthcare system in the UK versus Switzerland like yeah are there there I mean so in the UK we have the National Health Service the NHS which is great but uh it's public public funded so you know everybody pays their taxes that contribute to this free healthcare system so it's really good in the sense that whatever you need you should be able to access but mm-hmm. because of the nature of it and the lack of funding etc like it can take a lot longer to get seen uh for certain things yeah yeah Switzerland, it's a private healthcare system so everybody has to have health insurance there's different levels of what you can pay for um, but everybody has to have the basic insurance. And I found that things move a lot quicker. So that's more like you kind of like US. Yeah. In the US, I mean, over in Europe here, we are like so astounded by what you guys seem to have to deal with. Because even with the health insurance we have, like it's pretty, it seems pretty straightforward. You pay your insurance, you can access these certain services, you get money back depending on what it is. But you guys often have insurance, but then also have to pay like yeah. thousands yeah. <laughs> for everything, medication and treatments. Yeah. I don't really understand it. None I, of us do. If that makes you feel. <laughs> do you know if excision surgery is covered? Uh, well, I've looked into this a little bit, but not that much because I still haven't really had endo confirmed. So I might not have it, but but they suspect it now. So. I'm about to go and get um, a diagnostic laparoscopy to figure out what's going on in there. However, it seems so difficult to get excision. I've looked, I look always in Switzerland, Germany, France, because these are like the neighboring nearby countries. And it's not evident where you can get this. I think if I needed to get it, I would have to go to um, UK or maybe even US like to find someone I may be wrong, but I've looked all all the forums and Reddit and all of that. The guy that I'm going to see soon, he's like, yeah, we'll just laser it off. And I was like, laser? Okay. Well, I don't think that's the gold standard because my friends on that told me. But (laughs) But if that's what's accessible to you and if it's somebody that's in incredible discomfort, like there are not many people like you are obviously well-educated. I mean thankfully, but there are so many people who are not, who are going to be like, yeah, let's laser it off and like pray for the best. And it's not a horrible option, right? You may get some relief. I had it lasered off the first time. I'm trying not to do that ever again, because I'd rather have more relief, but it's interesting. Um, What we will do when we post the show is we will post that to our audience because we do have a UK area audience and see if other people have experienced it because that's a really cool thing to shine some light on. Yeah. And obviously it would be easier for me to go to the UK than to to travel to US. But I mean, even if it's out there nearby in somewhere in Europe, like why isn't it advertised? Like why isn't it a good way? Like, Like I'm Googling the right words, I think. Yeah, I can't find it if I just randomly search. I have to go to uh, sources created by endo friends yeah. that vet hospitals, vet doctors. There's very a very lack of access to those surgeries. Yeah, that means like they don't want us to know about it. Same, this whole illness thing is kind of us against the world, right? Uh, let's jump back into your symptoms, though. So I think we're like early 20s, right? Yeah, so so PMDD, maybe, I mean, that's also never been diagnosed, but I used to get super anxious, really sad, really like, yeah, like, it was going into like dangerous territory, like nothing, I never, never acted on anything, but like, in my mind, it was like, thoughts were there, serious uh, stuff. So like, yeah, then, how have you managed that? Is it talking as you just surviving it which is okay I feel like I did that for many years where I'm just like I got through that one get older I went to get therapy so I, I I for various reasons I I had a therapist from the age of 28 or 29 something like that so 10 years ago 
And she helped me so much with like loads of things. And she was like, look, you probably don't need to go onto antidepressants, but you just need to like talk through some, some things. And that was not just specifically about this. It was about my whole life. It really helped me a lot. Good. All right. So back into your 20s. Well, yeah. So I continued having this really bad pain. They just gave me painkillers, which I took in abundance. Uh, a bit later, went on to the pill, the uh, progesterone-only pill. This worked great. So at this age of like, I don't know, 26 or something, I took this pill every day. I had no bleeding, no pain. Yeah. So you got to like participate in life for a while. Yeah. And that was a real great kind of quick fix, I guess. (laughs) And I don't say that it's a quick fix for everyone because it just happened to work for me at that time. And I know that's not um, how that works for most people, especially if you have endo or something like that. It's not linked to, you know, hormones aren't really necessarily going to help you. But this helped me at that point. And I fast forward a bit to the age of like early 30s. And I'd met my husband. Uh, we weren't married yet, but we decided we wanted to have a baby. Out of wedlock. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. How dare you? You're on the Zoom of two Americans. We get it. So yeah, so we decided to uh, try. Came off the pill. That was in 2015, and went to the. Did I even go to the doctor then? Yeah, because I was just like, well, I just want to be checked, and like most people wouldn't actually do that. I was 32 at that time. Most people wouldn't do that, but I was like, well, I'm just a warrior, so I'm just going to get checked as well. They're like, yeah, everything's fine. It's amazing. Just have sex. Everything will be fine. We're like, okay, good. But it wasn't fine. <laughs> they were wrong. So after I came off this pill, I then started to, again, have, like, really bad pain. I never have, like, I never had lots of bleeding, but I had lots of pain. You know, this knife-like pain, twisting feeling, like... I, I would almost like, I would just be sitting there and I'd be like, I just want to like cut into my own body and take this out. Understood, bully. Yeah, I think, I think the ice pick and then wanting it just gone and out of you is yeah. like such a relatable feeling for most people with endo or like illnesses. Well, at this point I had no diagnosis of anything. So I was just like, okay, keep trying to have a baby. They just said, well, if you have pain, there's nothing we can do about it because we can't put you on hormones again because you want to have a baby. That was the solution. So that never worked for like two years, just naturally. He got checked out, nothing wrong. They kept telling me nothing was wrong with me. And then eventually, one doctor was like, oh, you you have a fibroid. You have a fibroid. I was like, okay, I've heard about this. I mean, this is something that's quite common especially in uh, black women, I was like, not too worried about it. They were like, it's not that big. Probably don't need to do anything about it. But then the next time I went, it had grown loads. So they were like, okay, we can just do this surgery, which is called a myomectomy, which is basically removing the fibroid. And this would apparently make everything tip top. So I had the surgery. They thought there was one fibroid. They found four fibroids in there. So... I came out of the, you know, woke up after the surgery and they were like, yeah, we found all of this, um, all these fibroids, we took them out. But now it means if you ever were to get pregnant, you'd have to have a C-section because we've cut you so we've cut you up so much inside that like the integrity of the uterus is like ruined, basically. Yeah, they jeopardized it. They hadn't told me that in advance. So I was already grieving because I was like, well, if I have... When I have a pregnancy, then I'm just going to be having a C-section, which is nothing wrong with having a C-section, but I was just. When you struggle to get pregnant and then you hear something else, your mind immediately goes to worst case scenario. So like now there's another obstacle in my way kind of feeling. Exactly. And you probably know this feeling as well. Like every time I was, it wasn't successful, like every try that it wasn't successful, it was like I had a huge meltdown. Totally understand that. And it was like, but I'm doing everything. You know, I'm, I'm a type of person, everything I wanted to do, I've pretty much done. 
Mm-hmm. I studied where I wanted to study. I wanted to move abroad. I did. I wanted to get this certain job. I got it. You know, like, I don't know. I just grew up in this culture of like, you want something, then you just what you need to do. And then you do it. You work for it. But in fertility, you can't work for. You can't. Doesn't. You can work really hard. It just might not be successful. Exactly. You know, we all know all the tests, like even people now who my friends who have kids, they're like, oh, I didn't even know like that there's two different phases of the menstrual cycle, <laughs> like two fully like formed kids. Like, and I'm like, I know so much about the menstrual cycle. The bliss of just deciding you're going to have sex and have a child was not blessed upon us. And then add on to that something not right, a chronic illness of some sort in your body, you're learning that no matter how hard I do things or how right I do things, something's not going to work out for me like it should. Also, I want to say like, I think not being listened to maybe, or like not being heard forces us to research and forces us to find out more information about what could be happening. So I think that's why we're more informed. Like you said, it's also like we have that drive or we have that ability or have access to the information that we need to do the research could you imagine having endo and i'm just going to say that because i you know that's what they think you have and what me and uh, betsy do have having endo and or infertility and live in a world where you couldn't just access the internet and be like am i crazy is this a real thing happening to my body because i still like i doubted myself so much but at least i could like connect with people imagine like being cut off from society and have this happen to your body I would go crazy I couldn't survive that so I had these fibroids out and then they were like okay you're gonna be able to have a baby now you just need to heal for three months and then just get back to it so I did heal and then I got back to it and still no baby so in the middle of all of this so what you might not realize about me from how I am these days, I used to be really big into like running and sports. So I wasn't like an athlete or anything, but I was always active. I ran like loads of races. I have a whole medal rack in my bedroom with like all the medals, like marathons, marathons, whatever. And in 2017, so this is two and a half years after we started trying and everything, I suddenly was like struck down by this immense pain in my whole body and long story short I was diagnosed with rheumatoid arthritis <laughs> so another huge obstacle to our to my life I was like bedridden and I had to stop all activities I had real problems at work and etc did you have like signs leading up to that like I know like a lot of people have like joint pain yeah so I had like pains in my feet and toes but I just but then I went to the doctor I went to the doctor and they were like yeah it's just because you're running a lot and I was like okay I've been running for 10 years I I don't think it's a running injury like it's right not going away and then after that it would move around so then it would be in my knee and then it would be in my shoulder and then it would be in my wrist and so I was like there's something else going on here and what I've noticed is when I'm at a particular point in my cycle towards the end my rheumatoid arthritis flares up. Luckily, it's pretty under control at the moment, but I'll get a sore wrist or I'll get a sore shoulder or something, and I'll be like, ah, okay, it's linked. Because your endo has your entire body inflamed, so it makes your arthritis worse, I'm sure. Yeah. I am not a doctor. No. I'm a Kaylee, <laughs> but my thoughts. That's Kaylee. That's just a Kaylee. <laughs> to be honest, so you, you know more than them, a lot of them. So then we continue trying um i had a little break uh at that point because i was so sick mm-hmm. and eventually um once i started to feel better um we started trying again and then another bad thing happened which was my mom died i'm so sorry so then that was like huge stress on my body like mind grieving all of that because of i don't know what like this weird drive in me i was like we need to do fertility treatments now. And my husband was like, uh, you should not be doing that right now. Like, you, need you to get care. obsessed, though. You're like, this is what needs to happen. Yeah. And I was like, no, 
I mean, it's fine. It's fine. I was like, people, he's like, you're too stressed. I was like, no, no. People have kids in wars. So I'm going to have a kid now. <laughs> you probably, I wonder if it was also like a coping mechanism. You're like, I need something to like, keep my mind off of it. Yeah. I mean, I had, I basically had like four or five years of just like one trauma after another. Some um, IUIs. We did two. This didn't work. And we got like a positive pregnancy test. It was very short lived. So I was like devastated. I remember when this happened and I was just like, I can't do this anymore. I can't do this anymore. I'm not doing it. We need to stop. That's it. So we stopped. But then like a year later, I was like, okay, if we don't do IVF, then we'll always be questioning it. I really, now I know more about the childless and child-free community. I'm like so much respecting people who choose to stop. Yeah. (laughs) And so I was like, yeah, but everybody still kept telling me, your body is fine. You can do this. So Mm -hmm. why not? Let's just do it. So last year, it was only a year ago, we did it. We did IVF. We did two transfers. And neither of them worked like at all, like not, not even a glimpse. So, yeah. Um, at that point, I just thought we, we discussed it. We were upset. We were crying and a lot. And so about a year ago, I was like, yeah, okay, we're going to choose now a child free, childless, child free life. It bothers me the most about the medical side saying, you know, we don't see something wrong with you. So that means you're okay. Rather than giving us that gray area, like, you obviously have struggled with infertility. You obviously are expressing a lot of pain. We don't know what it is, but there could be something wrong because I think that propaganda of saying you look fine to go try helps us keep pushing ourselves and the damage we do to ourselves long-term mentally and physically trying to just be a parent is something we can't recover from fully. And to me, it's just really sad because every time I hear there we go so far before we break and we say hey maybe I can choose me it's hard I feel like something could have been done for all of us sooner if we had just been listened to as you just said yeah you know even at the age of 10 or 15 like I feel like people should have been having a red flag and being like okay something's going on here let's check it out and maybe we, we would have had the kids that we tried to have. Maybe we wouldn't, but at least we would have been so much better informed and aware of like what's going on in our bodies. Um, but I definitely think that, you know, obviously it's a, it's a hard decision to make, but us deciding not to go forward with IUGF was one of the greatest decisions that I've ever made for us personally. Um, I don't think I would have been in a mental spot to handle it well when we were dealing with infertility stuff. Like, I think that doing that, spending the money to do IVF and then not having a positive outcome would have just destroyed me. And like you, you go through so much mentally anyways, during infertility, like you're just like constantly like onto the next thing. Like, let's, let's figure out how to do it better the next round or like, what, what can I do? What, what supplements can I take? What medicine or what can I, foods can I eat? Like, how mm-hmm. am I going to make my body have a baby? Yeah. yeah. During the infertility years, I did so much crazy stuff. Yep. <laughs> and even to the point, I'm so excited now that I can paint my nails because even to the point of like, don't paint your nails because there might be a chemical in there that causes a miscarriage or some bullshit. And you're like, guys. Yeah. Insane. People with painted nails have been having babies since Monish was invented. So, (laughs) this might be my uh, new favorite question for any guest that's dealt with infertility. Uh, And if if your nails is your example, that's the best one. But my new question for everyone's gonna be like, what's the craziest thing you tried that you thought would get you pregnant? I think um, I think Anya may maybe I could be wrong on who's saying that, but I think she said she even changed out all the the drapes in her house because like they could have been like contributing to some like toxicity in your environment. And I'm like, we are absolutely insane. Like don't use plastic, don't touch receipt paper. Like there's so many like weird myths out there that the most weird thing I did was I, I found this kind of 
therapist who apparently did this special acupuncture on your ear and it was supposed to make you get pregnant so I mm-hmm. went there and I laid down and she's like looking at my ear going yeah I can tell from your ear that your uterus is really congested I was like <laughs> painful she stuck needles in my ear can you imagine how painful oh. and I just laid there and I just cried my eyes out well we are very very sorry that you've had to struggle um, we know your pain and it sucks let's talk a little bit about the last year so let's talk through you choosing yourself and then um, some of your health. Cause I know you're still struggling to get a doctor to listen to you. Yeah. Well, after, after this um, IVF ended and I was devastated, we were both devastated. I think it's a little bit easier, at least in our situation for the men to like bounce back a bit quicker because they haven't had, you know, the hormones that make you crazy, the pain, the probing, like so many probings, actually the pressure. The hate for our bodies. The, you know, physical changes. I gained a bunch of weight. I can't move the way I used to. I just look completely different. All these things. So I was like, okay, anyway, I'm going to try and heal. And, um, you know, I still had this pain. still have this mm-hmm. extreme pain every month, you know. And I'm not one of these people that gets, like, um, super long cycles. Like, it's like clockwork every 27 days here you are again, more symptoms, nausea, being sick, back pain. Um, But I don't want to take hormones anymore. And I actually tried, I tried in last summer, the same pill that I was on before, and it didn't work. My body's changed now. So the same effect that it had when I was 25 or 26, it's not working. So I was like, okay, no, stop this. Stop trying to get these chemicals to help you. you and the doctor looks at me kind of like, I mean, he's a nice guy, but he looks at me kind of like, well, this is the answer. If you don't want to do that, it's up, then I can't help you. Like, ah. Oh. So I kept trying to find out the source of this pain. I contacted um, this doctor in another uh, part of Switzerland because I found his name on Nancy's Nook, you know, mm-hmm, the mm-hmm. Endo Facebook group. And I was like, this is going to be the answer. He's going to tell me what's wrong. And I went there and then he basically took one look at me and he was like, it's unlikely you have endo. Black women don't get endometriosis. Oh, no. Like, "Mm, well, for my internet friends. You're like, let me refer you to a few hundred people. (laughs) The urge for me to clap. Every single doctor that brings race into a medical. And then he goes, well, I don't think, I don't think the fibroids are a problem because if that was true, everyone in Africa, there wouldn't be so many babies being born in Africa. I'm like, why are you bringing up Africa? I'm talking about myself. Like, have a baby. I just want to relieve these symptoms. Looked out of there. Good for you. Like, I was like, he's the expert and he's telling me, absolute nonsense I went back to my gynecologist and he did another scan and he's like well I can see now that you probably have adenomyosis which has now been confirmed by MRI as well so I so this could be an explanation for everything because I get you know bloated belly I get the nausea I get the fatigue I get I mean and the pain Um, the only thing I don't get is this uh, heavy bleeding so I was like, okay, well, it's adenomyosis. What shall, I, what shall we do about it? And then he goes, well, are you definitely finished having kids? And I was like, yeah, um, we don't want to do that now. And he goes, okay, you need to have a hysterectomy. And I was like, okay, well, I, I, that can't just be the answer. Like, I'm 38. Like, that yeah. can't be the only thing that you can suggest. And um, it is. So I'm still going through more investigations now. Yeah, I would say the last year has been good. I feel like I'm just really getting into my child-free groove. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And of course, it's a spectrum, right? So between childless and child-free, you're going to slip up and down that spectrum. And, you know, you're going to decide on a day-to-day basis how you feel. But, like, I feel like I'm finally becoming myself again and wearing bright like for for three years I only wore like baggy gray clothes because I was just like a shell like a zombie you were depressed trying to have a baby 
I we even had a conversation recently and and we were like according to science I could still have a baby but I think it's going to happen but I was like I actually am at the stage now where I'm like I don't want that even just in a year I can't deal with it I can't deal with it anymore if I were to have a pregnancy it would be so stressful and painful and worrying and you know as we all know having a pregnancy doesn't guarantee taking home a baby so I'm just so afraid now to go down that road I simply just want to enjoy my life for me and with my husband and just have fun I couldn't have verbalized that any better I feel the same way right now um one of my the things my husband said and he even said this on thing on the podcast is that like his main concern was if I got pregnant what it would actually do to me like how your body would actually react like what I mean what the risks are if you have you know adenomyosis and you get pregnant like how you know how does that what's that do to your body I think there's so many risks and people are because of pronatalism you know people look past all the risks just to get you pregnant they're just like yeah yeah it's fine just do this yeah, that's the end goal. Without, yeah, without looking at the big picture of the health problems or the the previous, you know, difficulties or losses. You know, in I think in the UK, you have to have something like three losses, three consecutive losses in order to qualify for having further investigation. I mean, uh-uh. I can't even imagine Mm-mm. the pain of that. No. And... I simply put, your happiness should come beyond anything else. You're not here to reproduce. You're not here to make yourself sick for the chance of motherhood. You're here to exist and to be happy in whatever sense you can be. And if that's not being a parent, that should be socially accepted. And to spread your Natalie light. This is Betsy and we just have a little update here from Natalie. She's had some changes since our previous recording. We have not yet released her recording. So we figured we'd give her the opportunity to share her updates. So good morning, Natalie, welcome. Hello, good afternoon. And as you know, from the last time, uh, we suffered six years of infertility. And during that time, I also experienced increased pain and symptoms. Sure. Uh, fa- many failed fertility treatments, and we finally stopped treatments last spring. Okay. It was April last year, and um, it all became too much for me to continue mentally and physically. Like, my body's completely changed, and emotionally and mentally, it was like a living hell. Understood so, fully. I fully yeah, understand. I know most people listening to this, or a lot of people listening to this, will relate to that and just needing to you know put a full stop at the end of that at the end of that uh, difficult process so apart from having um a fibroid removal surgery back in 2018 so I knew that that fibroids were an issue for me but they were nothing really serious um they just took them out because they told me that that would help my fertility but they didn't um, spoiler <laughs> alert <laughs> yeah but um other than that other than trying to get me you know doctors trying to get me pregnant nobody ever really seemed com- concerned about the pain I was going through and how those symptoms were affecting my life and I just felt like it was my fault um that maybe I was like weak or that I was overreacting and like I was even told by one radiologist who did an MRI at one point he was like yeah there's nothing really much to worry about and you do know that women just have painful periods right and I was like um okay thanks thanks sir that was entirely unhelpful (laughs) yeah thank you for your professional help uh yeah so this yeah it just makes you feel like kind of stupid or like you are overreacting and Okay, so after a lot of back and forth, and I was told nothing, you know, that my uterus looks great, and I was like, okay, but it doesn't feel great, Um, so eventually my gynecologist suggested that it could be adenomyosis, 
um, which is when the endometrium, the actual endometrium grows into the wall of the uterus and can cause various symptoms. Some of them are similar to endometriosis symptoms. Um, so he suggested that, but he didn't come with any kind of way to like confirm that. And he just said, well, you haven't really responded to any other treatments. So you need to have a hysterectomy. So I said, okay, I don't think I'm going to do that right now um, because I'm still in my thirties right. and there's nothing has really been concluded of what's right. going on. Right. Like if you, if it's not proven, why are you going to remove a healthy, possibly healthy organ? Yeah. And as you well know, like there's, there's more to just having a hysterectomy than just like, oh, let's just get this out. Like right. there's other um, knock-on effects that yeah. it's going to affect you in other ways. It's, it's ultimately can be a very effective and great treatment for, for a lot of people. Sure. But I just think they have like very, they're very like relaxed about it. They're like, just very like, oh, so yeah, just take it out. And I'm, I'm asking, I'm there with my like, notes on my phone like yeah. what does this mean like right. should I get fit beforehand like should I do this what what will this mean for future health issues and they're like no it's fine we'll just take it out <laughs> yeah and you're like you realize this is a body part right like yeah removing a part of my body exactly so I was like okay thank you I'm gonna go and get a second opinion and a third opinion which the second opinion did not really go well. <laughs> so I contacted this doctor and as you know, as well, and as you and Kaylee have both discussed many times, like there's, you don't even know who to ask or like, you don't even really know where to go. So I'm just Googling like gynecologist, adenomyosis right. and hoping that like somebody comes up that can help me. Yeah. You're like, fingers crossed. This is the right one. Cause yeah. you, don't, you don't know what you don't know. You don't know, and there's there are forums, but you know it's hard to find someone in your particular area sure. or whatever. So I found this guy. He was in the UK, and he was like, "Yeah, well, you're way too young to have hysterectomy." And I was like, "Okay, but it's not just about age; it's also about mm-hmm. everything else." And then he goes, "And I wouldn't even suggest you having any investigative surgery because your BMI is too high." And I was oh. like. Um, that makes me mad <laughs> yeah and I was like first and this was a virtual this was a virtual discussion so he could only see what you can see now like he could just see this your top, yeah your face. and he could see the numbers obviously that helped him calculate the BMI but I'm like I'm I'm not in the cat I mean I'm slightly overweight but like I'm not in a category category where like someone's going to be like severely worried about Right. me being able to handle a surgery I've had other surgeries and he was like yeah but this is gonna put a lot of strain on your body and I was like do you know what else is putting strain on my body all of this crap you, yeah you and <laughs> my body doing with. this right now yeah oh my gosh that yeah. makes me really like, mad you know, for you nobody was telling me that when they wanted me to go under for like egg retrievals or, you know, other kinds of surgeries to help me get pregnant. No, right. no, that's fine. But then I'm like, okay, can you just figure out what this pain is? What's wrong with me? Okay. So I just kind of was a bit upset, but I just ultimately ignored him. And then, uh, I finally, um, so when I actually did schedule a surgery a bit later I spoke to the anesthetist because I was like I'm really worried now because I've been told that I'm like too big for this and like she was like I can't believe anyone said this to you that's absolutely ridiculous like that's a really outdated way of thinking and like so many doctors are using these numbers without properly seeing the patient without examining your you know your heart your health or whatever and don't worry, I'm going to take care of you. And you yeah, know. your weight is not indicative of your health. Absolutely like, not. No, it's, it's frightening how many people out there are not getting the care that they receive or even the attention or the, you know, being listened to simply because of like some numbers on a chart. Like it's yeah. crazy. So we forget this, this guy. Then I went to another, a third person and uh, that was somebody here in Switzerland. I could see them face to face. And he said that my symptoms did seem a bit worrying. 
and he suggested having a diagnostic laparoscopy and a hysteroscopy um, where they go in and examine everything um, in the uterus to determine whether there was any endometriosis and to see what else was going on. And he said he could already see from the ultrasound, like the usual internal ultrasound that we're all very familiar with, um, that uh, my uterus was tilted to the side and was misshapen. Interesting. Nobody had said that to me before. So I was like, which I'm sure this was not your first ultrasound or. Oh, no. (laughs) (laughs) No, I mean, there's someone up there every five minutes when you're going through infertility. For sure. uh, Yeah. they always they always said everything looks great. Uh, just take these drugs, or just do these injections, or just do this. Yeah. Uh, here's the more hor- here's the more hormones. Just watch. yeah. <laughs> and that's another thing about being on this whole infertility conveyor belt. Like I call it the conveyor belt now because I think they just they just pass you along and they just pass you to the next treatment and the next treatment, and nobody is actually taking care of like, okay, what's the underlying cause. Sure of this in people who have unexplained uh, infertility. Right. Okay, so I had this um, diagnostic surgery in May. And um, yeah, so then I'll just take you through what they found. Yeah. So they did, they did not find any endometriosis. Okay. So this is great because obviously as you and many others know, I mean, that's a terrible thing to, to suffer with. Um, sure. so, so I was pleased about that. But then they found several large fibroids in the wall of the uterus. Okay. And two of those were distorting the shape of the uterus, which means it has to contract extra hard during like menstruation. Okay. Because like the it was so distorted that like um, one of them was also blocking the exit. (laughs) So like stuff couldn't get out. So it was like, it was just building up and going crazy. It was just going crazy. And it was make having a huge buildup of pressure and pain. Um, That sounds incredibly. And there were also, yeah. And there was also several other smaller fibroids all around the outside of the uterus okay um just doing what they do just sitting there they found a severely inflamed adenomyosis over the whole back surface of the uterus and he said that's just what he could see on the outside so potentially there's a lot more within the organ as well okay and they found loads of adhesions and the most significant one was in what they call the pouch of Douglas. Okay. So this is where we always have these women or female body parts named after yeah. the men that identified <laughs> them. So this chap, Dr. Douglas, I guess. Um, so he's like named the part which is between the uterus and the bowel. So basically my the back of my uterus was like, completely stuck to my bowel so this was causing me pain and discomfort on a daily basis and uh, I'm still struggling a bit with that since having it I mean he's he released all of the adhesions but obviously that takes some time to really heal sure and they also found a huge cyst on my left ovary which nobody ever investigated this pain before I've reported several times having stabbing pains on my left side bless your heart my goodness my goodness that's a lot of stuff (laughs) that's a lot of stuff for for a for a spring afternoon yeah so (laughs) super casual amount of information yeah yeah so I was like okay so he's he's done what he can in a kind of conservative way you know like he it wasn't he wasn't planning to go in and then you know do a hysterectomy or anything it was more just to to find out what's there and he he dealt with things the minor things that he could sure and since then I do feel a little bit better like um symptoms are more manageable I still have every one of the symptoms but they'd seem a little bit easier to manage right 
probably and, just clearing uh, out some of those adhesions might have even helped a little bit. Yeah. And the blockages, like the this weird tilted, misshapen right. uh, mass, I guess, that was just causing pain. So I and one great thing is so far I haven't had any, I used to get really severe like nausea and vomiting before and during my period. So I don't get that anymore. Oh, that's great. Um, I mean, that's a huge yeah. thing. Yeah, it's really good. So so all that to say. <laughs> that um, it's kind of likely that at some point I will have to have a hysterectomy because adenomyosis is progressive and fibroids come back. So even if he's dealt with those um, so far, they could come back. And I said I wasn't ready for that yet um, emotionally, but also physically. Um, But he said try not to spend more than about eight to ten months um like deciding for it yeah so um do you like do you want to talk about like your emotion like how you feel emotionally about it or just like you're just not sure you're ready to get rid of that part Um, of your body or it's a it's a big conflict and so since having this surgery like at first I was like really upset because he'd found all this stuff then I was like okay no it's I'm it's good and I feel better but then so in the last couple of weeks I'm really struggling a bit because well I don't know whether to go ahead with surgery because I have no trust anymore in the medical profession because of all this gaslighting and trauma and I'm like well he's telling me this is it true because the guy last year and the year before and the year before told me everything was fine but clearly it's not fine right and you know so do they just want me to like take take this solution and just shut up or are they really looking out for my best interests uh and yeah how will I deal with that mentally and emotionally after going through infertility deciding to stay you know remain childless well deciding coming to the point where you know that's the option that we're going to go for and then and then on top of that like oh now we're going to take your right your womb away from you and I know that this I've I've read on all these forums and people are like it's the best thing I've ever done you say that as well and I'm like yeah. that sounds so amazing but then something in the back of my mind is just yeah and and on top of all of that in terms of the childless, child-free spectrum, sure. um, I I was feeling pretty good, I think, the last time I spoke to you, and I still feel good. But, like, all of this has made me think, like, oh, you know, if they'd have found something out about this earlier, would it have, would this have had a different outcome? Like, I, is, there, is there a yeah. chance that we should still, you know, go for it? And yeah. I don't want it like every time I think about trying, I'm like, no, no, no. That's yeah. Right. <laughs> and I fully understand that. I think like sneaking in there. It's like yeah. sneaky. Yeah. Those are so normal too, because I, I remember feeling the same way. Like if they would have found all of this stuff, you know, 10 years ago when I've been complaining about it my entire life, mm-hmm. how different could this have turned out for me? Like yeah. what what could have been different? And I mean a hysterectomy is a huge deal. Like there's something yeah. about the finality of losing your uterus, especially from someone who has tried to have children. Like, yeah. um, I, I fully understand it was, I was, I will absolutely say now it was the greatest thing in my life, but it's not mm-hmm. a hard, de- I mean, it's, it's, it is a hard decision. It's not an easy decision to make at all. So I, did you, I what did you do to like, did you do anything particular to like, obviously you you were like desperately in need of this surgery at the time, but right. did you do anything or how long did you have to prepare for that? Um, I had between, so I thought in August, I thought my, just my tubes were getting removed. So um, in my head, if I still wanted to do IVF, I could have at that time. Mm-hmm. I found out during that surgery in August that I could not, um, my uterus was trash, obviously. So in um, November, I had my my hysterectomy. So I had between August and November, about three months um, 
to yeah, come that's quite peace. quick as well. It is. That's quite quick. I, I was really ready though. I mean, I really was ready. Not, maybe not like mentally, emotionally, but physically, like my body was just mm. done with it. I was like, it's, this is not worth it. Like it was not worth it for me for, to be in yeah. pain every, every day. I think, I think it's so, it's kind of, I'm at the point where I'm like, well, I've dealt with this much pain so far. Yeah. So like, let's just keep going. Like maybe I can make it to 40 without yeah. having you know, whatever. I'm like, you gaslight like, yourself. Gas, you, I'm gaslighting myself. You yeah. absolutely do because yeah. you're like, oh, I'm probably not that bad. Like I'm fine. Yeah. And um, I think it's, it's the medical trauma that we've dealt with that helps us gaslight ourselves because they're like, yeah. oh, bad periods are normal. Like this pain level is normal. And you're like, okay, yeah. probably, I'm probably just a baby. Like <laughs> at least that's what I was thinking. You know, I yeah. think. And, and like uh, at the moment, at the moment, I don't know if you had this, but I had like near, near constant back pain, like lower back pain. It's like every day from waking and I wake up every day and I'm tired. So I, I get, a, I go to sleep and I wake up and I'm still tired. Yep. And I'm like, that's because my body is just constantly fighting all of this inflammation and it all is. of this stuff. And I also have rheumatoid arthritis, which doesn't help. So I'm like, right. okay, so is, so would this actually relieve all of that would I be able to wake up and just feel like right. refreshed or would I just be able to like walk down the street and not have back pain or right I don't know I don't know it's I don't know why I don't have and I feel like it's really hard because I don't know who to like reach out to to get apart from people like you and yeah. other people in the community have been through that like who can advise you on this yeah I and I I think that, you know, you can hear me say it was the greatest thing that ever happened to me, you know, as much as I will say it, but mm. I think if you're not at peace with it, that's not going to help anything. Like, I don't think that there's any one person you can talk to that's going to make you confident in your decision. I think it's something that you're going to have to work through that you're going to have to come to terms with and decide what's best for you. Mm. Um, I mean, it's such a tremendous it's a tremendous surgery for anyone really. Right. And like, you know, it depends. Are you, are you, you have to, you know, to think about the fact that like, are you going to keep your uter or your ovaries or like, mm. or are they going to take those two? Or are you going to go into instant surgical menopause? Which if they would have told me that, I think it would have been a whole different world for me. Mm. I don't, I don't know that I would have gone through with the surgery if I would have gone into instant surgical menopause. I mean, yeah, especially at that age, like that very young age, like right. to, to go into something so dressed, like so quickly. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's a lot to think about and, um, you know, I'm, I'm here if you want to talk it through, but obviously those are, <laughs> thank those you. Are things, yeah, yeah. That you have to come to peace with on your own too. Yeah. I mean, logically I can figure it out. It's more this emotional side. And as you just mentioned, coming to peace with it, that's one of the things I wrote down. I was like, I've already spent so long trying to rebuild my relationship with my body after it's, you know, let me down or sure. you know, doesn't work. And then I'm like, I just want to be at peace. I just yeah. want to move on from all of this story and um, yeah, just live and do activities and be happy. But right. it's not so straightforward as that, I guess. No, it's not, it's not a black and white thing. I mean, it really is a, it's a traumatic experience on top of a hundred other traumatic things that you have already dealt with. So. Yeah. And I think I just, even though I'm not normally telling everybody what's going on inside my stomach, but like, I kind of wanted to share about that because I find that it helps me when other people share. And I think that it just shows how long it really takes for people to get the help that they need or even right. identify what's wrong. And other people you've spoken to have, have come, you know, had the same um, thoughts and feedback about their situation. Um, so I just wanted to, I don't know, add to that somehow because no, I, it, it's a lot. And I know a lot of other people are going through all of these kind of things and yeah. yeah. Well, Natalie, I genuinely appreciate you sharing. Um, I think this was a really important update because it is like a real life processing of 
of this <laughs> yeah. new information. And um, yeah. I think that a lot of people do, and a lot of people don't get to see it in like real time. So I, I genuinely appreciate you uh, being willing to share your update. Yeah, and I've obviously been following Kaylee and everything that she's been going through with her surgery. And I think it's amazing that she's sharing it all kind of in real time yeah. as well. That's, I find that very brave and like very impressive because she's yeah. obviously healing, going through pain and all the emotional side as well and hoping right. for a good outcome. So she's just amazing yeah. to, to do yeah, that. She, she's a boss. And Obviously, we wish she could be here with us this morning, but she is resting and healing her body. So Good. she's trusting me, which is amazing. To be here. <laughs> she let you loose. She did. She let me loose this whole week. She's like, you got it. You got it under control. I'm like, we will see. <laughs> well, is there anything else you want to add, Natalie? No, that's it. Just thank you for listening and thank you for just being a positive space on my Instagram so I can feel good and like see that other people are thriving after going through a similar kind of stories as mine. Well, thank you so much. Bye. Bye.